The following message is from the audio ministry of Coastal Community Church. We trust you'll find it helpful and encouraging. All right, well, good morning, Coastal. Uh, It is a privilege to have the opportunity to speak uh, here this morning. Um, We have been in this series, Losing Our Religion, and uh, I'll tell you, the book of James has been a book that has been very powerful in my life. And I remember uh, the first Sunday when Pastor Chris uh, spoke, he actually referred to James 5, 16. And I remember at that point thinking, it'd be really cool. I'd really like to have the opportunity to talk about that. Had no idea at that point that that would happen. Uh, But the book of James has been significant, but particularly this passage from James chapter 5, verse 16. uh, And we'll look at some of the surrounding verses around that this morning. But uh, Pastor Chris kind of gave me the leeway to jump ahead just a little bit. Uh, I requested that, and he said he'll kind of wrap it all up uh, next week as we're bringing this series to a close. One of the things that uh, I have kind of said is, is my personal life goal at this point. Um, and when you get older, you start thinking about such things. I'd encourage you to think about them sooner rather than later. But, uh, but when you get older, you start to think about these things. And, and my life goal, I've determined, is to help people or challenge people or encourage people to take their next step with God. I thought it was interesting in our prayer time this morning, Pastor Chris, you said just about exactly those same, same words. And so it was definitely affirmation. I want to encourage you This morning, as I'm leading us through this time, I want you to be thinking about and praying about and asking God, Lord, what is the next step that you would have me take with you uh, today? I believe God wants to speak to each of us, and he does it in different ways. Even through the same words that are spoken, God touches us uh, through his word whenever it is proclaimed. So let's just jump in here and uh, read James chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. It says, are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. We got some of you right there already, right? If you're suffering hardships, you should pray. Are any of you happy? Did I get any of you? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed sins, you'll be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. So the first thing we want to look at is prayer simplified. The series on losing our religion has just been looking at how we can get rid of some of the trappings that religion has put upon us and look at what it means simply to live and walk out a life of faith on our daily basis in the world in which we live. And when it comes to prayer, in some ways, religion has created a bit of a monster. I'd like to kind of demystify it today because prayer is simply talking to God. Now, we come from a lot of different traditions. Some of you, I know, come from a Catholic tradition or maybe the more liturgical traditions. And in those traditions, often prayer is something that's pre-written and read out uh, in that context. From the other end of things, the Pentecostal tradition, uh, their church leaders will pray emphatically, often with repetition words and phrases. Evangelical churches pray spontaneously and seems to flow easily as the person is praying. Or maybe your memory of prayer is sitting at the Thanksgiving table and your father or grandfather is praying on and on and on 
and on, and you're saying, just stop so we can eat. And some of you will be thinking about this this week uh, when you gather uh, for Thanksgiving meal. Some of you, though, just say, prayer has not been a part of my life. We now are living more and more in a post-Christian world where it's not a given that everybody is experienced and familiar with prayer in their life. And some of you would say, prayer was not even a part of my family tradition at all. So that begs the question, does prayer work? And what's the significance of it? If it does work, how does it work? And why does it work? And I have to say that I don't know the answer to those things. I don't know how it works or why it works. I only know that God declares that it does. That God has spoken and through the scriptures, it is declared over and over that God desires for us to communicate, make our requests known to him. And he responds to those prayers The activity of God is at work on earth because we have spoken and reached out to the almighty creator of the universe. 1 John 5, verses 14 to 15 says, If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Look at that phrase. If we ask anything according to his will. So that's a significant thing, and we'll talk a little bit more about it later. If we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Now, prayer is not something that just the person up here on stage, the hired holy man, the pastor, or the priest, or even a group leader does. You know, it's interesting, in the Garden of Eden, the very first interaction we have recorded between God and man is God coming and walking in the garden with Adam and Eve and talking with them in the cool of the day, it says. God desired a relationship with mankind, and he desires to talk with them. Somehow, over time, mankind seemed to want to contain God in a building. And I think it's ultimately the result of sin that came in there. Somehow, God got relegated to a temple. And ultimately, in the Old Testament, we find that God got not only contained to a building, but there became this particular spot in the temple called the Holy of Holies. And it was a spot that was marked off by a curtain, and you've never seen a curtain like this. This thing was probably 60 feet tall and probably four inches thick, and it was symbolic of the division and separation of the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. There's an interesting little sidelight that we often don't even notice in this story, but in the story when we jump to the New Testament and we see the crucifixion of Jesus... And in Matthew 27, verse 50, it says this, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. This curtain, this massive curtain that had separated God from man suddenly is torn in two. And now, once again, God wants to walk with his people, be present with his people. No longer do we have to go to a priest to talk to God. We can talk to God. This veil was symbolic of the sinfulness of man and separating it, but Jesus at the cross covered the sinfulness of man. He gives us his righteousness, and now on the basis of his righteousness, we can go before a holy God with our request. So prayer has a lot of different forms. In James chapter 5, I see at least four different types of prayer here. Number one, If you're suffering, that's praying for our personal needs. If you're suffering, if you have an issue in your life, you can pray for those needs yourself. You can take those needs to God. The second one, and this is interesting, 
is singing songs of praise if you're happy. Now, I don't know that we tend to think about what we just did here this morning as the worship team was leading us. We were, were you, <laughs> we could either say we were, or I can say were you talking to God during that time. Because, see, it's creating an environment for us to speak to God, to declare praises to God. That worthy is the Lamb, worthy is the Lord. You know, singing those things is us communicating our thankfulness and our praise to God. But it's very likely that one person can be standing there speaking to God and another person can be there maybe just mouthing words. See, it's about our heart and proclaiming our praise to God. A third thing, is anybody sick? Ask the elders to come and pray over you. There is power, and we want to encourage you to take advantage of this, of inviting others to pray over you, whatever your needs are. And then lastly, and this might be the biggest challenge of them all, and so we're going to talk about this a good bit, is if you have sin in your life and you need to confess sin, then pray for one another and you'll be healed. So what prayer is, is simply including and inviting God into every aspect of our lives. You see, prayer isn't just about getting our will or getting our way. That's tend to what, what we tend to do with it and limit it to that. But actually what it should be is seeking God and seeking his will and then aligning our lives with it. Matthew 6, verse 33, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. You see, prayer should be our first response, not our last resort. I'm a hospice chaplain, as Pastor Chris said. I deal with a lot of people at the end of life. And one of the things that I have found is that typically most people will be open to prayer when it comes to that stage of life. Now, granted, I have had a number of folks who say, no, I don't, I don't welcome or want prayer either. But most people would say, but it, but it often is not indicative of the way they have lived their life. They haven't lived their life weaving prayer into their life as part of their life. But at the end, as a last resort, they will say, yes, pray, pray for me. Well, we tend to live our life that way. Our first response is usually not prayer. It is usually worry. We tend to worry first and pray last. Philippians 4 is a passage that um, I, I share so often with folks. It's so powerful. It has such good insight. And there are two different ways to look at this passage. I think if we look at it the way that our mind tends to think, here's the way we would read it. Don't pray about anything. Instead, worry about everything. Don't involve God in your life and complain about everything. Then you'll be overwhelmed and stressed out and your heart will be in constant turmoil. <laughs> Isn't that kind of the way we approach life? But God has a different way, a different plan through prayer. He says this, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Now listen, here's the kicker. Then you will experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. And then see, this then leads us to this peace that supersedes our circumstances. 
We look at life and our goal or our tendency in life is to say that our life should be as easy as possible. And hey, we follow God, so God should make our life easy. Interestingly, that is not always God's goal for our life. Our goal would be perfect health, lots of money, great job, fulfilling job, a cool car, perfect house, a great neighborhood, perfect neighbors, best friends, all of that stuff. And any one of those things could be great. And maybe you have all of those things. But those things can actually turn out to be a distraction from God's purpose for us. You see, what God desires for us and from us is relationship. He wants what Jesus boiled down the commandments to was this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. See, that's God's passionate heart for you. He wants you to love him with everything. And when you do that, when you direct your heart to him and realign your purposes with him, sometimes he allows circumstances that force us to cry out to him, to seek him, and to realign our lives with him. See, prayer shifts our focus away from the problem and back toward God. God never told us, keep your eye on the problem. Focus on figuring out all the problems in your life. But rather, he says, keep your eyes on me and let me take care of the problems in your life. When we do that, even when we don't get the answer that we desire, even when God doesn't make everything smooth and easy and work everything out, our heart is changed when we come to God in prayer. And God is desperate for us to seek after him. He displayed that through sending his son Jesus at the cross. Desperation to restore relationship with us. And so he allows us to get desperate to have that relationship with him so we can realign our lives with his purposes. The second point we want to look at this morning is confession personalized. In James 5, verse 16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. See, we need to drop the mask in our life. We need to declare that we're all broken people. Let me tell you, I just read that passage from Philippians to you. But... And I know it, and I have to remind myself of it. And maybe it's why it's one of the most important verses to me is because I have to remind myself of it so often. I worry a lot. I get stressed. I deal with fear. I get angry. I battle to keep my mind focused where it should be. I curse occasionally, sometimes more than occasionally. I struggle in life, just like you do. Now, see, my tendency, though, is to say I'm the only one who struggles. Others don't have that struggle. But I know it's not true. I know you also struggle. Maybe not with the same things I do, but you struggle. I know you do because the scripture tells us this. Romans 3, verses 10 to 12, it says, As the scriptures say, no one is good. No one in the world is innocent. No one has ever really followed God's paths or ever even really truly wanted to. Everyone has turned away. All have gone wrong. No one anywhere has kept on doing what is right. Not one. You know what I have found for myself is that when I drop my guard and I've hurt others 
say this same thing. They've learned that when they drop their guard, when they take down the mask, suddenly they find that others are struggling too. And they realize they're in this together with somebody else and they're not fighting their battle alone any longer. And suddenly it transforms the way they live their Christian life because they know we're in a journey together. And that is the way God has designed it to be. That we walk in fellowship and relationship, a group of broken people working together to find healing and wholeness. See, we need to know, not only are we all broken people, but God wants to heal us. He doesn't want us to stay broken. I would say, I was thinking back this morning and thinking, I am not the same person I used to be, thank God. And I trust that I will not be a year from today, five years from now, in the future, the same person I am today. And you have that same opportunity, but we have to determine, we have to remove the shame factor from confession of our sins, our faults, our failures, our weaknesses, our habits, our harmful patterns, our addictions, etc. And recognize that there are two options. Sometimes the opposite side of us not confessing those things is we just all confess, oh, we're all in this together and we just stay in it together. But we don't have to stay in it together. We can recognize that God wants to heal us and allow us to help one another move forward in our relationship with God and toward healing. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, what we're talking about today is not an issue of salvation or forgiveness of sins. We know very clearly if we confess our sins, he forgives us our sins. Done deal. Over. We're now free from the penalty of sin. But yet, we continue to struggle with the effects of sin in our life. If you've confessed your sin to God, that doesn't mean that you no longer have issues that you're dealing with. Confession to God brings forgiveness, but confession to another person brings healing. Now, this is very different than the way we tend to think about confession because our focus tends to be on confessing to God. But now we're shifting our focus and talking about our relationship with one another, not just our relationship to Christ. You see, we were made for relationship first with God, but also for relationship with each other. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but God is relationship, and we are created in his image. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is relationship. It is community. And the Bible says that we are created in his image. If God needs community, we need community, and God has given us the church, the body of believers to be that community. Now our tendency is to remove the life-giving relationship from the things that God calls us to do and replace it with routine and replace it with ritual. You know, it's interesting as I, I get into a lot of Catholic homes and I know a lot of you uh, have come even from Catholic backgrounds and confession is very important in the life of a Catholic. And it plays out in a different way than it has from those of us from a Protestant background. And I value confession, but what I wish that could happen in that context was not just confessing to an anonymous person behind a screen, 
but rather in the context of a relationship. And what Catholic confession has done to confession is the nature of what we tend to do with every spiritual reality. We tend to remove the relational aspect of it and turn it into a ritual instead. You know, in Scripture, there are over, or at least 59 Scriptures in the New Testament that talk about one another, about the way that we relate to each other. It says, be at peace with each other, love each other, be devoted to one another, honor one another, accept one another, greet one another, eat with one another, serve one another, be kind to each other, submit to one another, be patient with one another, consider others better than yourself, encourage one another, build up one another, love one another, love one another, love one another, love one another, over and over and over. You know, we can't love by ourselves. <laughs> That's just the nature of love. You can't love by yourself. Love has to have a purpose and a, a, a point of contact, and it happens in relationship, and it can't just happen here on Sunday morning. You know, we love each other, but more often than not, what we express on Sunday morning is kindness and not necessarily that deep level of love. You know, I think that God has created each of us in this kind of love relationship. He has put something deep inside of all of us that gives us a desire to be fully known and yet be fully loved. Now, I know some of you are saying, no way, I don't ever want to be fully known. But I think there is something that God has placed in us that wishes, it's kind of a wistful kind of thing, that if I could just be fully known but still be fully loved, fully accepted, that would be incredible. But what happens instead, we know from our experiences that we won't be fully loved if we're fully known. And so we know we'll face rejection and we fear rejection. And we keep and allow that fear of rejection to keep us from experiencing the fullness of God's love in our life. We put up a mask and we cover. I have a particularly fond memory of a time in my life that was We've been here in Charleston 17 years ago, so probably within the last 20 years prior to being here, where I was pastoring a church at the time, and I had a, a group of uh, six or eight leaders and the couples we met together every week, and, and at the end, the, the men would go one room and share, and the women in another, and, and I remember thinking during that period of time that I had the kind of relationship with those guys that I knew they had my back, and I knew that I had learn to live my life like an open book before them. And I had shared every struggle, every issue openly with them, and they had shared their lives with me. And I knew that there was a safety in that. I knew that if somebody came forward with an accusation against me, I knew those guys would stand up and say either one or two things. They would say, you can't hold that against him because he's already confessed it. We already know it. You can't use that against him. Or they would say, we don't believe it because we haven't heard it, and we know if it was true, he would have told us about it. There is an incredible safety in that kind of relationship before God and before others. And I think God has created us to need that. Now, the problem is, is we're scared to confess because maybe somewhere along the way, you did open up to somebody and you got burned. 
Maybe you heard it, make it circles and come back to you and you realize what you had shared in confidence didn't stay in confidence. And I realize it happens over and over and way too often. But I also realize that I believe it is one of the greatest tools that the enemy uses in our lives to keep us from experiencing that kind of relationship that God has designed us for. So even though there is a risk in sharing, there is a risk in not sharing because it will keep us from experiencing what God has designed us for. Now, granted, we shouldn't walk into church and I'm not going to say, okay, everybody confess your sins this morning to one another. That wouldn't be appropriate. Uh, we all know that person, right, who uh, somewhere along the way just tells more than they should tell, says more than they should say. Somebody sits down and spills their guts and you're kind of like, whoa, you know, because it wasn't in the appropriate context and in the appropriate relationship. But in the context of real relationship, you should always be able to go to a pastor or a priest, the leaders of the church. But also, you should have the kind of relationships in your life, the kind of relationships that Pastor Ryan talked about last week, the ones that are intimate, restrictive, and open to critique, the kind that Pastor Chris talks about, 3 a.m. friends, the kind you have developed intimacy and relationship with. And I know some of you are thinking it's terrifying to me, and you don't want that. But I know some of you are saying, man, I, I long for that. I'd love to have that. I'm desperate for that. And I will tell you, honestly, at my, this stage in my life, that is the greatest thing that I desire is to have deep, real friendships and relationships and to be known and loved in my life. But it takes intentionality to make it happen. Life groups is where it starts. That's the next step for you. If you haven't made that step yet, take that, that step. If you have made that step and maybe you said those relationships didn't happen, well, let me tell you, Pastor Chris said, we, we've been here about four years. We've been a part of a lot of life groups. I've thought about it. We've probably been in life groups with 150, 200 people in the course of that time. We've gotten to know quite a few of you, at least casually. But some we've gotten to know more than casually. We've been multiple groups with. Some we've gotten to know personally. And a few we've gotten to know intimately and develop that kind of relationship with. It takes time and intentionality to make it happen. Your willingness to enter into that kind of relationship, your willingness to open up about your life and share your struggles, to acknowledge your need of God in your life, will determine what your future is going to look like. Whether you're going to experience the kind of freedom that God wants you to have or whether you're going to continue to live in the bondage to those struggles. You see, asking for prayer when we are in need, when we need peace or we need freedom or we need healing. It is declaring that we need God and acknowledges that we need other believers in our life. You know, as a prayer team, we have a, a prayer booth back here in the corner. And I know that uh, we have often reflected about how few people come back for prayer Versus what we see on Monday morning when the email comes out of the long list of all the prayer requests. Now granted, not every one of those prayer requests do you need to take and have somebody pray with. But I do know as I look down that list, I think, wow, there could have been real power in praying together over this need. As we open up and share that struggle or that need and let somebody else enter in as we step out in faith. I pray that this becomes the culture of Coastal, the new norm for us.
the third thing we're going to look today, at today is sin clarified. It says confess your sins. Now I know sin is, is something we don't talk a, about a lot these days, but we actually have a good bit here in this, this book of James. Ryan talked about it last week and Pastor Chris two weeks ago. And, and I, I think it's something we struggle with because our culture definitely does, does not talk about that word and use that word anymore. But sin is an inherited disease. Now, I, I don't know. I'm sure some of you have inherited diseases. I have one. I don't know if you're familiar with what psoriasis is. It's a skin disease. Somebody back there recognizes it. And I particularly have this stuff in my scalp, and I get it sometimes on my arms and my legs. And in the summertime, I always have to decide, am I going to let people see these ugly patches on my legs, or are I going to hide them? And usually I just show them. And, and uh, I, every now and then I have a little fun with it. There'll be a kid who'll be staring at me, and eventually, you know, if they're, especially if they're a little older, they might look and they might go, what's that? And I'll go, it's a contagious disease and kind of creep, creep toward them. But, but see, that's the thing. It's not. It's an inherited disease. You could, I only got it because of my parents and because it got passed down through the generations. It's not something you can get from somebody else. And that's the way sin is in our life. Sin got passed down into our lives through the generations, ultimately from our original parents, Adam and Eve. But here's another area where religion has messed up this concept and we kind of need to lose this sense of the religious understanding and recognize that in some religious settings, sin has been overemphasized. In other religious settings, it's been not acknowledged at all. Pastor Chris, two weeks ago, shared from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 11, a list of some of the sins and struggles in Scripture. And there were two other passages that I had actually looked at prior to that, and I want to just read them. And as I, as I read them this morning, I want to encourage you just to ask the Lord to point out to you where maybe these things are part of your life. Ephesians 5, verses 3 to 6. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. In Galatians, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. You see, we all find ourselves in these passages. That's all of us. That's who we have been. That's who we are now. Now, if you've been committed your life to Christ, if you have accepted him as Lord and Savior in your life, you've been saved from hell. You've been saved from the punishment, the eternal punishment of those sins. But you may not be experiencing the joy of God's kingdom here on earth. In that passage, it says, anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
You know, Jesus talked about the kingdom of God is among you. The kingdom of God is within you. Romans 14 verse 7 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but a matter of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Isn't that what we want in our life? We want to live a life that is full of goodness and peace and joy. But we recognize that when we're doing and living the things that are pointed out in that scripture as sins, then we're not experiencing God's peace. They steal away the peace so that we cannot experience the joy of God's kingdom in our life here and now today. You see, what I've, I think we can read these passages totally differently. We can either read them as an angry God declaring, don't do this. Or we can read them as a broken-hearted father who is warning and pleading with his children. I think it's a little bit different than, or the difference of the way we relate to our children. When my daughters were small, I would say to them, you will not. And they sometimes would not. <laughs> but as the adults now, I don't go up to them and say, you will not. <laughs> it wouldn't do any good. But what I do is I go to them and say, look, oh, well, my nicknames for my daughters are Sweetie and Babe, so depending on which one I'm talking. Uh, but I would go to them and say, look, if you do this, here's what's going to happen. Please don't do this. Go this route. Make this choice. See, that's the heart of the Heavenly Father for us. When he gives us these things, he's saying to us through the Apostle Paul and these things that we Please don't do that. You will miss out on the peace and joy of God in my life. You will literally break the communication with me. You won't be able to hear my voice because you won't want to hear my voice. You will withdraw from me just as Adam and Eve, after they had sinned, withdrew from the presence of God. They heard him coming and they hid. That's what we tend to do when we have sin in our life. We hide from God. We don't draw near to him. We run away from him. So sin is anything that masters you or competes for God's place in your life. And those things that compete for God's place, what God's place is, is that we would love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. When we have something that competes with that, it's breaking that relationship with him. Ravi Zacharias says it like this. We may call it independence or autonomy or coming of age or postmodern or progressive or political correctness, but in reality... We're broken. Renaming something doesn't change its essence. The Bible calls it sin. And pain is the constant reminder of our brokenness. Sin is changing the purpose of God for our lives and becoming self-serving. You see, God desires for us to live free from sin in an intimate relationship with him and living in his purpose of being a God-serving per person. Serving him with our lives, living our lives for him. And sin turns us into self-serving people instead. And it breaks the relationship with him. So what I encourage us is that God wants us to live an open life before him and before others. The way we do that is by engaging in prayer and communication and relationship with him on an ongoing basis, not just in the morning, not just in the afternoon, all the time in relationship and intimacy with him. And we come back full circle. We pray, he reveals himself, we confess, and then we pray, and God heals. 
James 5, 16 ends with this. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Let's pray together for the healing of God in our lives. Let's do that now. God, I know that you have spoken to us this morning. God, I pray that we have had ears to hear. Lord, I pray that you would reveal to us what the next step is that we need to take today. Help us to know your heart. Your heart is not a, one of an angry God who wants to punish. Your heart is one of a loving heavenly Father who wants to protect and guard and bless and heal. So God, I pray that this morning you would bring healing in our lives as we take the next step with you. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Coastal Community Church. For more information about Coastal or to explore what your next step of faith might look like, check us out online at coastalcommunitychurch.org. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, thanks for listening.